Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, last night I was not able to do a video recording, so that's going to enable me to catch up a little bit here on the radio program. I I was pretty sick yesterday. I, I still am today, but Lord willing, I'll get through this okay. We'll see how see how it goes. So, last week we finished out the whole of chapter one. I know that was a lot. That's probably because I was trying to catch up and, and move quickly. But we're doing okay now, and I think it'll be all right if we just take our time a little bit on this, although there, there's not too much to get deep into here. But nevertheless, I want us to take our, uh, uh, our time and look at things as they come up. So we're in Acts chapter two. We're going to be working through the book of Acts. And I want us to notice how the church is getting started, how the church is growing. We saw that in chapter 1. We'll continue to see that here in chapter 2. And we're going to start here with our first four verses of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Okay, the they there has to be the disciples from the previous chapter. Remember, chapter breaks are put in there by man. So Luke is still writing uh, in in, uh, this without this chapter break there. And you got the disciples. They're in Jerusalem. They're all in one place. We'll see here in a moment that they are not in the upper room. They're in uh, in the temple. And they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. I think there were probably a, a section of the temple, <coughs> excuse me, where uh, probably under the portico. It could have been that for this word here. And so they're sitting there, and all of a sudden there was this loud noise. And it was like a violent rushing wind, the sound of it. And it filled the whole area. And there appeared, verse 3, to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they seated on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So this is what they had been waiting for. We're going we're to dive more into what these noises and what was seen here in a moment when we, when we get to verses 5 through and following. But here I just want to focus in on why this came. Over in chapter 16 of John, chapter 17, this is where Jesus tells the disciples that they're to, uh, that he's going to send to them 
the Comforter. Um, let's see. Let me get my Bible actually over there right now. Let's go ahead and just actually read what what Jesus said there, rather than me trying to remember, especially with me being not exactly one hundred percent. So, in John chapter sixteen. Jesus is letting them know that he'll be leaving. He says in verse 5, But now I am going to him, that's the Father, who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And if he, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But... When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Okay, so we have a couple of things to help us understand what is happening. This is a helper, and this is a spirit of truth, and it will guide these apostles into all truth. It will let them know things about Jesus. They will remember these things. It is a helper. Right now, uh, they, they struggle with this. We, we saw that in chapter 1 when they thought the kingdom of heaven or uh, the kingdom of Israel was going to be this little kingdom on earth. And was it going to be established now, Lord? They, they didn't fully understand. But when the Spirit came upon them, as it is doing here, it's going to bring everything to their remembrance about the teachings of Jesus. They're going to see it, and they're going to understand it. How this all worked, I don't know, but it must have been fabulous. Because we go from men who were just, you know, earlier were locking themselves in the upper room. They were going fishing. They weren't doing anything. They thought there was no hope. But they went ahead and did what Jesus told them to do. And then the next day, not only do they go out preaching, but even when the Sanhedrin threatens them and flogs them, they keep on preaching. Even when the governor chops their heads off, or the king chops their heads off, they keep on preaching. Even when they're stoned, they keep on preaching. Nothing could stop them because they knew, they knew the truth. And so, here it is. This is the day. It, it came. This is the most significant event uh, ever to happen since the death of Christ. Because this is the unfolding of the plan God had set forth. That he was going to bring about in his son. That we were going to be saved not by the law, which we could not be done, but by Christ, his son. This is the beginning of the church. And so they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance because these were tongues uh, that they could not speak or did not know otherwise. And this is not some angelic tongue, as some suppose today. This is literally the, the speech of people's homelands, as we will see here in just a moment. So that begins. Now, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men 
from every nation under heaven. So these are uh, Jews from all over the world. They've come here for Pentecost. They're devout. That means they know the things of God. They're devout. I mean, man, if you're going to make this pilgrimage from so far uh, to stay in line with the word of God, then yeah, you're devout. Verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. There it is. Now, what they had heard was the violent rushing wind. They heard that part like, what is that noise? It's like whenever you hear a large crash, it's something out of the normal. So you want to go investigate what that was. Let's go see what that is. And they, when they get there, they begin to hear these men, who we'll see here in a moment, they, they recognize them as being Galileans in verse 7. They hear them speaking in their own language. That's impossible. How, how is this possible? If it was just one man hearing one language, okay. But they're all hearing these different languages. They're hearing their own language being spoke. That's amazing. Both of these things are capturing people's attention, isn't it? It's causing a crowd to come, and they're beginning to wonder. In verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Amazing. That would be amazing. That would be astounding. You know, it reminds me, uh, uh, there's these videos people put out uh, where they'll there'll be this you know real white guy for example he's obviously American or, or British and he walks into these Chinese restaurants and he speaks absolutely perfect uh, um, Mandarin perfect Mandarin and everyone just stops and looks like what in the world we had no idea this was it was amazing now just how amazing would it be if you had a big crowd from all over the known world and these men that Everyone knows are Galileans, and they're not exactly the brightest of folks, and they're all speaking your language, your, of the home you were born in. Not Greek, but all, all those specific languages that only they know from their area of the world. They're all hearing it, and they, they're preaching the mighty deeds of God. It grabs their attention. This is after they, they heard the mighty rushing wind. Amazing. And they were, verse 12, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. So we have two different groups here with two different reactions. One, they, they're, they're looking at one another thinking, what, what does this mean? This, this is happening for a reason. And here we all are. We're in Jerusalem. We all know about some of the things that have been happening with Jesus and his death. And then there's this noise. We come here, and here's, again, Galileans coming back on the scene, and they're speaking this language. This means something. We don't know what, but this means something. And then you got another group. They see this, and they this is just too insane to believe. The only explanation I can come up with is that they are full of sweet wine, which makes no sense. 
because you're hearing different languages. But maybe they just heard the languages. They didn't know those languages themselves, and it just sounded like a bunch of gibberish to them. Kind of like when uh, we hear people trying to pretend to speak in a different language, and they are speaking gibberish. We think they're drunk, (laughs) because they probably are. But here, they didn't know what was going on, and so they assumed they were drunk. So, this is where it begins. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. Okay, so Peter sees the opportunity. And again, like before, he does not disappoint us. He stands up, he speaks up first, and he addresses everyone. Heed my word. And they're listening because they want to know what does this mean. And the other ones who think they're drunk say, okay, let's, let's hear what this explanation is. This will be interesting. Let's stick around. And he said, first off, let me deal with what the naysayers are saying. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. And what that means is it's, it's early in the morning. It's about 9 a.m. They used wine to help uh, purify water. And so it wasn't a lot in there. And even if they were drinking wine, it wasn't strong like it is today, alcoholic. So there's just no way they could have gotten drunk by this point in the day. There hasn't, there's not enough time in, in the day yet for them to have gotten drunk. So no, that's not what it is. That's not what's going on, he's saying. But what this is, you devout men, because you're here, you know the mighty deeds of God. You know God. What this is, is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. In other words, he's saying you should be making this connection. This should be pretty obvious to you, so I want to bring it out to you. And he's going to bring this out from Joel chapter 2. And it's around uh, verses 28 to 32. Here's what it says. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons... And your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what he is bringing up here, what Peter is talking about, is what you're seeing here should be bringing your mind to Joel chapter 2. And over there in Joel, he talks about how the Lord is going to pour forth of his spirit. This is again not the third person of the Godhead. This is miraculous, just like it was in chapter 1. It was here when it came down upon them, and it still is here. He's talking about the miraculous. You see and hear this. This is the miraculous that God said would come. He would send it. I would pour my spirit. And it's going to be on anyone uh, uh, that it may come down on. And in this case, it's on the, the apostles. And then it'll come to anyone who they lay their hands on. But what he wants them to see is that this is a sign that thing, something great is coming. But before we get to that, he, 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 the, his, the whole explanation with um, the wonders of the sky, the blood, the fire, the sun being dark, the moon and the blood, those are symbolic of you know, amazing things you just don't see. And when they do, they capture your attention. 
This is what miracles are. They're amazing things outside of the normal that grab your attention. And he's telling them, when you see these things, it should bring you to something. Something's coming. And what you should know this because Joel talks about it over there in Joel chapter 2. Or he also says, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That should be the great glorious uh, um, statement that he just said there. This is it. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Now, what does that mean? Call on the, does that just mean I, you know, call or, or in, many say, just say a prayer and ask Jesus into my heart? Is that what he is saying as some say? No, it's not. Uh, there's so much more to this, and we'll be diving more into this as we work through it, but let's just jump ahead for a moment. Or in verse 37, as when Peter brings his sermon to an end, he says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They recognized they had done wrong. They heard, and now they believe, and in their very statement, they're confessing that Jesus is, is Lord in Christ, this is Jesus whom they crucified from verse 36. They recognize these three things. What's left? What do we need to do? How can we call upon the name of the Lord? And Peter tells them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There it is. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now that is not an indwelling, as many say, Peter still, as we will see as we continue to work through this text, he is still talking about the miraculous here. I'm not saying, before anyone says it, I'm not saying that any of us can receive that today, but we'll explain that more thoroughly when we get to verse 38. But verse 39, For the promise, not the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of salvation. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Will call to himself. That's what the Lord is doing. Back over to Joel. I'm going to turn in my Bible to Joel chapter 2, to this passage where that Peter is quoting from. Uh, the promise of the Spirit, there in verse 28 and following. Uh, da, 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 da. And it will come up, verse 32 of Joel 2, and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Whom the Lord calls. Back over to Acts chapter 2, verse 39, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. He is calling them. Through the gospel message that Peter just gave to them. Now they are responding. So how do you, how do we call upon the name of the Lord? Well, first we have to hear what is being said. Then we have to believe it. If we believe what he, they, uh, the gospel is saying to us, the Bible, the word of God, the truth, if we really believe it, then we're going to act on that. And therefore, we are going to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So we will confess that. Whether we do it vocally or within our minds or in our hearts, we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So we hear, believe, confess, repent. That is, repent of our sins. We've recognized we've done something wrong. We need to repent, as Peter points out in verse 38. And then be baptized. That, is, that means immersion, fully immersed into the watery baptism of Christ. 
raised up into a new man, as Paul points out in Romans chapter 6. Peter even will bring this out in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism does now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. It washes away our sins. And so we can have that good conscience toward God. And so back over to where we left off. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he's, he, he's giving an introduction to his servant here. Here's what you're seeing. He's telling uh, all those who are there in presence and, and, and wondering what these things are, hearing their, uh, these men talking of the, ma- the many deeds of God in their own language. This is the miracles that Joel prophesied of. Now this should tell you that this is the time of salvation. And then he goes on to prove who Jesus is. In verse 22, he's going to start doing that next. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again. Now, we're not diving into this text just yet, but I just want to get us ready. Multiple things that are happening here. Uh, and, and we've already seen also here in uh, chapter 1, we also saw this in, or, I mean, here in chapter 2, but we also saw in chapter 1, that this all, the chapters 1 and 2 of Acts blows away premillennialism. And I know that is a very prominent teaching out there in Christendom, and that is the belief that uh, Jesus is going to one day come to earth and reign for a thousand years on earth. And the reason why he was going to originate, what they teach is that he was going to originally do that. When he first came, he was going to reign on earth for a thousand years. But God and Jesus did not see his death. He, they did not foresee that he was going to be put to death like that. And so they had to put it off for a thousand, for, several, for however long. Uh, and so... In temporary uh, uh, junction, let's establish the church, something that he wasn't planning on doing. But that's not true. And this proves it. This text, chapters 1 and 2, prove, because it points back to Joel. And also Jeremiah in chapter 31 proves that God knew this would happen. He expected this to happen. And there's so many other passages in the Old Testament. Premillennialism is not the truth, folks. Jesus will not come back and reign on earth for a thousand years. It will not happen. What will happen is one day when Jesus comes, he will not set foot on this earth. He'll come in the sky with his angels. We'll hear the the trumpet, and that's it. That's the end. There's no more making decisions for us here. Whatever we've done, that is it. If we have acted on his word, amen, we go to heaven. If we have not, well... We go to hell. We've made our choice. And there's no more choosing after that. That is it. It's the second coming, and that's the end of this world. That's the end of this universe and this realm. It's gone. We all move on to the next realm, either in heaven or in hell. So, <coughs> this is the final, last age of this realm, of our earth. And this is it. We are in these last days. And so from this point forward, in verses 22 going following, Peter is going to show them that Jesus is the Jesus of the Old Testament prophets that they spoke of, that even David spoke of, and many others. And there's no doubt. And then he'll talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit some more. That's the miraculous again. 
And when he finally brings it to a conclusion again that they had crucified the Christ, it will prick them to the heart. And then Peter will tell them what to do, and they will act on that. They will be baptized, verse 41. So then those who had received his words were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to what? Added to the church, which is the body of Christ. When were they added? When they were baptized. They received his words and were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. God adds them when they act on the word of his Son, through these apostles at this day, or through the preacher today, or you and me, if we're having Bible studies. It all comes down to a, an, an obedient faith. And that's what they are showing here. And they saw, they believed, they recognized. And everyone, verse 43, kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Man, and that just that would be so convincing. Of all the evidence that out there and those miracles, it would just be no way that we, uh, uh, they're wrong. This is the truth, clearly. But you know what? It's going well now. It'll go well in the next chapter. But eventually, the Sanhedrin is going to get involved. Eventually, more will get involved. And Saul, Tarsus, and the Romans, and persecution will come. And they'll be driven out of Jerusalem. They'll be scattered about because of their fear of being stoned to death when they heard about what happened to to Stephen for fear of the persecution being arrested and losing everything they have, having a mothers and fathers and siblings uh, turn against them and shut them out of the family, as Jesus said would happen, and all these horrible things, and especially when uh, Herod gets involved. He starts chopping off the heads of the apostles, the leaders, and yet it never stops. And nor do the, any of the Christians rise up against them in war. No, they, they leave Jerusalem, they keep preach, they keep preaching, they keep teaching the truth. And it continues to grow and grow and grow because they knew they had the truth. It wasn't a lie. They weren't dying for a lie because they could have, they could find out if these things were a lie. They could look into it. Remember the noble Bereans? They, they dived deeply into the things of Paul to see if they were so. So these people were not dying for a lie. They were dying for the truth. And they knew it and they could confirm it. And that's a big deal. They could confirm it was the truth. It wasn't all emotions. They could confirm these things. They were logically seeing that this makes sense. This is definitely it. No doubt about it. Two plus two is four. And Jesus is the Son of God. 100%. And so that is the lesson for this afternoon. I hope, Lord willing, that I'll be able to get back to the Monday night program. And get, keep that moving forward. And they'll, they'll be in sync. I'll do the Monday night program on, online with YouTube. And then the next day here for Tuesday, I will record the same thing, different, like, at the, uh, a little different, here for the radio program. And I hope it's a benefit and a boon for you. Well, thank you all for being here. I encourage you to take a look at our website, www.nvcoc.net. You can find this radio program, all the old ones, and the YouTube program as well when you get to that site. Thank you very much, and God bless. Bring it This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.